Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is August 4th, 2020, and this is episode 47. I had a great opportunity to sit down and talk via Zoom once again. I'm always talking to people on Zoom nowadays. It's, it's been a while since I've had an interview face-to-face. It was great to talk with Jimmy Shane. We sat down talked for over an hour. This is going to be a two-part episode. But we talked to Jimmy about a lot of different things. And I really wish this could have been an interview where I was congratulating him on a great victory of the Columbia Cup or Seafair. Unfortunately, both those races aren't happening this year. It seems like nothing's happening this year. But I had a great time talking to Jimmy about a lot of different things with hydroplane racing. In this episode, part one, we talked about his family racing traditions, his entry to H1, the Porter years, and his transition to the Madison team, which he now races for under the sponsor of Home Street Bank. All right, I'm joined today with Jimmy Shane. He just got off work and he had a few, a little bit of time to talk with me. So Jimmy, how are you doing over there? I'm doing good. Burning, burning the midnight candle, but everything is uh, going, going good. Well, that is the hydroplane racer's norm, though, to burn both ends of the candle, right? Well, most, most boat racers have day jobs, and then we have our, our boat racing, uh, you know, glorified hobby that we all love. And yes. uh, it takes a lot to, uh, to make everything happen. Well, I do want to ask you about your day job, because I, I think you have a, a unique day job. You work for Blue Origin. So what, what exactly do you, you do for that? I, I, uh, I'm basically a, a senior technician at Blue Origin. So I get to build and assemble the capsules and the rockets and the boosters and all of the, the assemblies that go together um, to actually build the new Shepard uh, propulsion rocket that is eventually going to take uh, humans up into the suborbit and take them up into space. So they get to experience uh, some weightlessness and, and they'll actually be astronauts once they uh, ride on a flight on New Shepard. So wow. we're getting really, really, really close. Uh, we've made big strides and um, we're, uh, we're almost there. We're, we're, we're doing really well right now. That's, that's really exciting. That's really exciting to hear. Does, does any of that translate over to the world of hydroplane racing? All the things it's, that you're working on there? There's a lot that will translate over. Um, aerospace industry and boat race industry uh there 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 is some pretty vast differences um obviously the quality control on uh, the aerospace at blue origin is a a little bit more stringent yeah (laughs) um but we get to experience the r d and the experimenting with uh the, the boat racing so i have two of the most most unique and cool jobs in the world and I get both ends of the spectrum. Um, so it, I think it helps keep me pretty well balanced uh, throughout my work experience. Oh, very exciting. I, I imagine, well, you have a, actually have a rocket scientist on your crew, Jimmy Gilbert. So you, you probably have some conversations about rockets uh, every once in a while, I imagine. We, we do. In fact, we, we were able to bring the Miss Home Street to uh, Blue Origin for a just a, a little private like viewing session for the employees there. And... Um, once they found out that Jimmy Gilbert was uh, a former NASA, uh, you know, basically NASA uh, scientist, 
they cared a little bit less about seeing the boat and talking more with Jimmy <laughs> when the boat was there. But uh, they, they love both of them. They love sitting in the boat. They love seeing it. They love the differences between the airspace and the boat. And um, I think it was a great experience. But yeah, Jimmy is Jimmy is amazing to have on our team, a, a huge asset. And um, I love sharing stories with Jimmy. He's got some really good ones over the, over the years. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he's a very smart man. Well, like many other boat races, you were kind of born into boat racing. Your parents raced for many, many years. Can you tell us about the experience growing up around the sport of boat racing, how that influenced you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was 100% uh, forced into the sport of hydroplane racing. That's not at all true, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up, I was surrounded. Uh, it, it was my environment growing up 100%. And uh, we as a family, my, my family owned a metal fabrication business in Haverty Grace, Maryland. And my dad started racing hydroplanes in 1969. And um, it was pretty much all that I knew. I grew up in the metal business with the, the entire family. We would all work during the day on metal jobs, making money. And then we would spend our summers and, and, and then the off season working on the boats and going racing in the summertime. So it was a very unique upbringing. Um, I took full advantage of the resources that were around me to learn. And uh, we got to travel the country as a family. So very blessed, very honored to be able to do that with my family growing up. I started racing when I was eight years old, uh, eight to nine years old in the junior runabout category. That was the first boat that I actually ever drove. Um, it was 100% borrowed equipment. And that, that's what we all love about the boat racing uh, sport. It is a community. It's a family community. And um, we help each other out a lot. So once again, I, it was just a, a blessed upbringing. And um, I was very fortunate to be where I was at that time. Yeah. Well, could, could you say doing that with your family, did that bring you closer to your family, having that shared bond? I, I don't know if it brought us closer or we fought more because we were around each other all the time or whether uh, it, it, one thing it definitely did was make us the most competitive people in the world. I mean, we were, we were always out. Uh, we each had our own boat. Um, most of them we built ourselves. And we would build our engines and we would work as a team, but there was this very unique uh, competitive edge in all of us. And we all wanted to go out and beat each other. We would all, actually all of us raced against each other at one time, all four of us, which uh, I don't think has ever been done maybe in any sport, but um, it was, like I say, it was a very unique uh, upbringing. Um, my dad, uh, you know, he, I learned from him and my mom as well. Um, that if you wanted to succeed, you had to put the effort in. Uh, they would work on their equipment. They would work hard at the metal shop. And I think they, that's one of the best things they passed along to me was, if you want to achieve your goals, you have to put in the effort. And we all did as a family. And, and we were pretty successful growing up. My dad won seven national championships consecutively in the 145 cubic inch class, which was one of the most competitive classes in inboard hydroplanes. My mom won a national championship. My sister won a national championship. and um, I've been fortunate to win a few of my own here throughout the years. Man, that's some pressure for you right there to, you know, <laughs> follow all those, all those uh, attributes there. Well, I, I found it with my father. It was, it's really nice to share the summers with him in racing. So I'm glad to hear, I like hearing stories of families doing that stuff together. Cause I, I think hydroplane racing is such a family oriented sport. So I like hearing those stories. Absolutely. 
before we talk more about your your recent career, I always like to talk about hydro idols or hydro heroes um, for people around the sport. And one thing I'm curious with you, because you, you grew up in Maryland on the East Coast, so it's a little bit different kind of boat racing culture than over in Seattle. I don't know, but I, I feel like there's less of an emphasis on unlimiteds over there. So I'm curious, who were your hydro idols kind of growing up? Who would you follow? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We, I, I wasn't actually exposed to unlimited hydroplanes until I was about, uh, I would say about 16 years old when I actually oh, wow. got to tour the Miss Budweiser shop at when they had the national, the APBA national meeting out here in Seattle. My mom had won the national championship that year in in the hydroplane class, so we came out here to Seattle. And the first time I actually ever saw an unlimited hydroplane was at the Miss Budweiser shop which it doesn't look like it in my background, but I'm actually sitting in that same shop right now doing this interview, so it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, we weren't exposed to unlimited hydroplanes on the East Coast very much. Uh, they had a few races back. Norfolk was, uh, I think, in 1997, mm -hmm. and maybe a few others down in Miami, like in the late 80s or early 80s, late 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, I, at my age growing up, I was never really exposed to them, so. Um, my idols growing up in hydroplane racing were definitely my dad, uh, number one, and, and, and my mom and my sister. Uh, I think that it goes without saying. Um, I always enjoyed watching old videos of, um, you know, we, we had some East Coast local boat racers that, that kind of made it up to the ranks of Unlimiteds, but never, never got to that top tier uh, in, in the league, but Wheeler Baker got to drive an unlimited hydroplane. Larry Lauderback got to drive an unlimited hydroplane and they were both from Maryland. Um, so I would say that I, I definitely looked up to them cause that's, that's was my goal as a child. I wanted to, the first time that I laid eyes on that Miss Budweiser boat, I said, that's it. That's my goal. I'm going to go drive on, I'm going to go drive that boat. And, um, uh, pretty cool stories that I actually got to drive that, that, that boat was the T6. Miss Budweiser, and that was the first boat that I got to actually test with Ted Porter back in 2006. Wow. So I was, uh, I was again very fortunate to to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, my my dad, hands down, though, is my number one uh, idol in, in hydroplane racing and in life in general. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. It's a good list there to have for hydro heroes. You mentioned Larry Lauderback, and that was he is such a legacy in the sport of many classes with his, all of his Lauderback designs. And you speak of, you know, driving the T6, which when you saw it, when you were, what, 16, you said? Yeah, I think I was 15, 16 in that age yeah. range. And it wasn't that many more years after that that you, you drove it, because you started pretty young. Yeah, in, it was, uh, yeah, Budweiser had pretty much um, just about stopped their sponsorship at that time. I think it was, uh, I think I saw the boat in 2001. And they ended their sponsorship in 2003. So Ted bought the stuff in 2000, the end of 2005, beginning of 2006. And the first time I got to test the boat was 2006. Oh. So it was only five years after seeing the boat that I actually got to hop in there and, and take it for a spin. Yeah. Well, I think it's unique too that you're so young because I think for many years, the average age for unlimited class drivers is, is much higher than early 20s, right? So it's a, a kind of unique situation I think you were in. How did you come about getting that call from Ted Porter to drive? You know, I actually, um, so 
at the time I was racing a number of boats. Obviously I was racing my own uh, inboard hydroplane, but I was driving for the Weber brothers out of Michigan. Uh, I was driving their five liter hydroplane and we, we were doing very well on the circuit. We were winning a lot. Um, and then that's right when uh, Ted had purchased the unlimited equipment from Budweiser and he chose Mike Weber as his basically team manager at that time. And that's, that's where the connection happened. Um, Mike eventually asked me, hey, do you want to take the boat for a spin? You know, you're doing really well in the five liter. He's like, I'd like to see what you can do in the unlimited. And we have this little test session in Decatur. And uh, I think it was Decatur, Indiana, Illinois. I don't remember. Um, Illinois, but... <laughs> oh, it was Salina, Ohio. It was in Ohio. <clears throat> okay. Um, so Salina, Ohio. And uh, I got to take the T6 boat out um, in 2006 for about five or six laps. And it was, I thought I was doing a thousand miles an hour. Actually, it was the opposite. I thought that the, I think the expectation in my head was that the boats were so fast, um, but I didn't realize that they were proportionate to the size of them, how fast they went. So it actually felt really slow when, <laughs> when I got in the boat on that yeah. small course, I was like, it doesn't feel like I'm going that fast. And, and then they told me I ran a lap close to 130 miles an hour. And I was like, Oh, that's average. Okay. I was, I was going pretty fast on that little course <laughs> then. So, um, but it's, it's, it's just proportionate to the size of the boat. It's, it's very different between a small, uh, very agile, um, boat that that really reacts fast. Uh, these unlimited hydroplanes are a completely different beast. They're big, they're slow as far as the movements go, um, but they do hit a very very fast speed of oh, obviously over 200 miles an hour as you've seen. Yeah, yeah, they do. So I could I think it's safe to say that the first time we unlimited, you uh, you were hooked on that class size. I was hooked. I could. I I, I love every single kind of boat but um there's something about the speed of the unlimited hydroplane that you just want to I, even now i still want to go faster i, I feel like i should I, I that's my next step i want to go how do i go faster in the unlimited hydroplane so um we, i think we've been doing a pretty good job of that as well with the miss home street boat i think you have i think you have <laughs> david newton here listeners i really hope you're enjoying the podcast rooster tell talk is a free podcast that runs off of well, basically a teacher's salary, and contributions from our listeners. If able, please show your support. To make a contribution, please visit our website at ruchetelltalk.com and find the support tab. Thank you. Now let's get back to our program. You ran for, speaking of Ted Porter, you ran for him for a number of years. You won many races, national championship, world championship with them. What was your time like racing for Porter? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I was a, I started out as a backup driver uh, back in 2007. And um, unfortunately, Mike Allen had a few incidents with uh, the, the boat that he was driving in 2007 and 2008. So Ted actually brought out the backup boat for uh, Formula. It was Formula Boats at the time. And that was the, the main title sponsor. And I got to I got to drive in uh, Tri Cities in Seattle both of those years with uh, Ted's backup hauls. One was an old Leland haul, and then the second one uh, was the what is now the U57. Um, used to be the old like Winston Eagle lobster right. boat. 
that right. they that's converted over. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how much of that was left, but originally yeah, at one time it was that. <laughs> I think Mark still has it, I, I believe, but uh, Mark Evans. But um, I got to experience uh, what some older ill handling boats felt like at the time, which mm -hmm. I think was a good thing for me. <laughs> um, they were very hard to steer, very hard to handle and um, very hard to get the speed out of. Uh, so jumping into, uh, jumping forward to 2012, when I, I actually signed on with Ted full time, um, he went from a two boat team to a one boat team. And I thought that was gonna be uh, a good thing for Ted to do with the resources and the equipment that he had. And um, I, I think I, I, you know, was in a good place at that time with, with Graham Trucking and Ted Porter. Graham Trucking was the sponsor. So we had two great years in 2012 and 2013. We finished second in 2012 in the high points and first in 2013 in the high points. And we won many, many races. And um, it, was a, it was a fantastic team to be a part of. Very, very professional. You had to dress a certain way, look a certain way, speak a certain way. And um, I think that really helped helped me as a stepping stone to really uh, get the the full scope and expectation of what it was to be an unlimited hydroplane driver. Ted was fantastic to race for and I learned so much from him and the team doing that. So yeah, Ted Ted was, uh, Ted and, and that entire Graham Trucking and Formula Boat team, they definitely helped me get to where I am today in this sport. You definitely made a name for yourself in those years working are driving for Formula Boats and Graham Trucking. Definitely had some, some good times there with your wins and national championships. But then in 2014, Steve David stepped down and you took a spot in the Miss Madison uh, Racing Organization. I'm curious what, well, I'd like you to talk about your decision to change teams at that time, but you still are racing for that team. So it's been racing six years now. Yeah, correct. So this would have been the seventh year with the team. Um, yeah. COVID, darn COVID. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make as a, as a professional racer. Um, obviously, the, the memories and, and what we had done at, at Porter Racing and with Graham Trucking, um, I knew that I was in a good place. And when the opportunity of the Miss Madison ride came, came open, um, they, they approached me and numerous, numerous other drivers as well um, to possibly take that, that seat and that ride. Uh, I had to sit down and have a long conversation with uh, uh, Bianca, my wife at the time, and we, we decided uh, together that we just felt like the best path forward for, for me as a driver was to switch over to the Madison team. And um, I'll tell you, it was, it was not without reservation with the position that I was in and especially being the national champion. Um, but I think that, um, I think I would have been successful with either team. And I just felt like the Miss Madison team uh, was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And um, what I've always said being with the, this, this Madison team is, uh, when I win and the team wins, um, we win and, and we get the full backing of the 14,000 people in Madison, Indiana. When we lose and we do 
bad and I make a mistake, I get the full wrath of the 14,000 people of Madison, Indiana. They're, they're, they're some of the most dedicated fans and most passionate fans in any form of motorsports. And um, I absolutely enjoy being a part of their their family and their community and, and representing them as a driver. And, and um, I just, uh, I, I really enjoy my time as the Miss Madison driver and I look forward to hopefully many, many more years. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that is kind of hard. That's some pressure having 14,000 owners you have to answer to <laughs> with any, uh, any race, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I, I, I absolutely, uh, yeah. I, I love, um, I love their support. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can say that they, they made a good call by having you come over and replace Steve David. Steve was a, a huge advocate for the sport and so accessible to the fans and was uh, such a fan favorite. And you've, done a great job of filling his role, not only on the race course, but off the race course in, in those spots where the sport really needs advocates and people that, that can reach out to the fans. Obviously, Steve, Steve's shoes were pretty big to fill. I mean, he was always a fan favorite. He was a great ambassador for our sport. And um, I learned a lot from him. And I just appreciate and, and just try to do my best to, to just keep the, keep the ball rolling with the Miss Madison team. Well, at that team, you have some some great people working, you know, wrenching on the boats there. We talked about Jimmy Gilbert and the rocket scientists that you have, but you also have some brothers that are just so knowledgeable in the sport and have done an amazing job of setting up some fast boats with some limited resources. You have Mike and Larry Hansen. I've heard so many great things about them as far as, you know, setups and understanding the boats. Could you talk about their importance with the team? Absolutely, and uh, I, I've been um, I've been fortunate to work with uh, Mike and Larry for a few years now. Um, it was it wasn't always that way. Uh, when I first switched <laughs> over to the Madison team, uh, I was I was so looking forward to working with Mike uh, and, and Larry. And then Mike decided to take a position with uh, Eric Elstrom's team That's right. and be chief with them. So yeah. I was I was really disappointed because I was looking <laughs> so forward to working with Mike. Um, but Larry, Larry, uh, man, he took the reins that year in 2014, and we had a banner year in 2014. Uh, those two guys are amazing. Um, I've been working with them for the last couple of years now, and you cannot stop them. When they're at the shop working, um, they go nonstop. They're full bore. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. They absolutely do the right thing the first time instead of trying to do something quick and then have to go fix it later they take the time and the effort to do it right the first time and that really is a key to i think the success of the miss madison team is um, having that mindset not only with mike and larry but that transcends over all of the team members you know we're going to do this we're going to do it right we're going to do this a certain way we're going to race a certain way and um, it just sets the tone for the entire team. Uh, I've learned so much from them and I'm looking forward to learning a lot more. Yeah, well that leadership role really has such a huge part of it. Like, as you said, it sets a tone for everyone else on that team. I've been around some teams where it's not quite that same way and you can definitely tell at the race site who's got their act together and who doesn't. Well, one thing I'm curious about with you and I've, I've known some drivers before that have a lot of superstitions and it's hydrogen racing is no different than many other sports that have superstitions uh, 
I've heard of, you know, a lot of people don't want watermelons in the pits at all. It's bad luck. I'm curious, do you have any superstitions that you do on race day? Any routines that you have to do? No. Let's nope. <laughs> go. Um, well, the only thing that I do is I try to. Um, I try Not the to answer I was powder. looking for, Jimmy. Yeah, no, no, no superstitions. <laughs> All right. Um, I try to just uh, keep keep the same mindset uh, before each race, every heat of racing or any time that I step in the boat. I try to keep the same pattern, the same mindset. Um, I like to make sure I go through and give the team fist bumps as I'm walking from the truck down to the boat. And then when it comes time for the final heat, um, you know, I, I give them all handshakes instead of fist bumps. Okay. And I think that's just my thing. That's what I do. That yeah. might be my only superstition that I have. Yeah. I don't have a favorite pair of underwear. I don't have, um, I, I could eat watermelon before the race. It doesn't okay. bother okay. me, but, uh, I, 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 I try to just keep an open mind and okay. keep things loose and keep things fun and happy. And I think that, um, that keeps the team upbeat. So okay. I, I, I just try to do that. No superstitions. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good to hear. You're, you're on such a positive wavelength with that. You don't have to, you're not brought down by the superstitions. There's some people that <laughs> I think still, they don't want watermelons at all around them at the lake. That's yeah. just, uh, it's bad, bad stuff for him. <laughs> Maybe I'll start eating watermelons and we'll see. Uh, I, you no, should. I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll be fine. Right. Yeah, maybe I, will. maybe I do it subliminally. Uh, so. <laughs> One, you, know, you have a lot of stats right now. You um, have the most wins of, of active drivers, Gold Cup victories, national championships, all that stuff. But one thing that is just impressive to me in your years of unlimited class, that you haven't had a major blowover. And I think that's very unique to someone who's won in that class because it takes a lot to do that. I'm rocking on some wood right now for my own superstition that I'm not jinxing you. Yeah, but, me as well. Yeah, me as but, well. Got, got some wood handles here. <laughs> but uh, but I'm just wondering, is there something that you think that your driving style has to do with that? Or it's just it's kind of mind-boggling to me that, that you've been able to be so successful and not had that on the on the other side. Yeah, it's not something that I, I try to think about too much. I, I think that... Well, you are now. Sorry, Jimmy. I, I know, I know. Thanks. Um, no, I think what I, you know, I've always, I've always tried to work hard off the water to make myself better on the water. And I think that um, it's no different with this, this team and this group of people. Um, I feel like if you're prepared that you're setting yourself up for success. And maybe in a sense, you know, we work harder. We work hard, not harder, but we work hard in the off season. We try to make the boat fast. And maybe it's just where I can, I can still be fast in the boat and run it a lot more conservatively than other guys or, or women on the water. And maybe that's part of it. Uh, Maybe part of it is I've had numerous accidents in the smaller classes in the limited hydroplanes. And um, I've reached that limit of where you, you have a point of no return where you blow over or barrel roll or um, I think maybe I'm just able to race a little more conservatively than other drivers. And maybe that's, maybe that's why I haven't had a, you know, a blow over. Uh, you look at all the old videos, you look at old races and, um, 
you know, it was, I mean, it's, it, it is part of the sport still that yeah. you kind of expect it to happen eventually uh, running as fast as you do in one of these unlimited hydroplanes. Um, I try to be really good about my situational awareness. If I'm in a position where I'm in between two boats and behind and I made a late start and I see the door closing, I'm not going to risk it. We have a fast boat. We, we, can, we can make up points over the weekend and I'll, I'll just back out and let the other boats go and try to stay in the clear. Um, and maybe that's part of it too. I, I, maybe I just, um, you know, I'm aware of my, my situation uh, when it's presented to me and uh, I just try to drive smart. That's all. I try to drive smart. I try to brace for points because one of our main goals is national championships. And um, if the race wins come along with that, that's, that's just a bonus uh, and a good bonus. But um, I think I've just in my mindset, I'm a points racer and I'm I'm there for the long-term, long-term success. So hopefully, hopefully that's why I haven't had a major accident, but at the end of the day, I think it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's inevitable, but I've, no, I've known drivers that have raced inboards their entire life and have never had an accident. And um, maybe it's, it's just luck as well. You never yeah. know. Well, let's keep luck on your side. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will keep as much luck on my side as I can. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our episode. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.